Have you been watching the uh, the SNL at home things? Uh, no. I saw the oh. first one. I didn't watch the one, uh, whatever it was, two days ago, which is, I heard was better than the first, but... I actually liked the way that they put it in the intro, which was, uh, you know, it'll be just like Saturday Night Live. There'll be good ones. There'll be terrible ones. There'll be some that are kind of okay. And I was like, all right, spot on. <laughs> but one of the bits was literally all of the people just trying to manage a Zoom call. And I was like, this had to be equally the easiest thing to write and is also the most identifiable comedy that you could be doing right now. Totally. With like people, you know, like the HR people who have never used computers particularly for anything are just like, I don't... Where is it? And they're like just shooting their nostrils. Like it's great. It was, yeah, it's a good bit. So I wouldn't say you should yeah. sit there and watch all of them, but you know. Did you watch the Sondheim 90th thing yesterday? No. Do I you know about this? I, I yeah. No. Uh, it was blowing up gay Twitter for a while uh, last <laughs> night. Um, but so it was a big, you know, online as a benefit uh, Sond birthday celebration for Sondheim's 90th. I forget exactly when he turned 90. Uh, but they got like all these huge names in Broadway and beyond. It was like, so it was ho hosted by Raul Esparza and they had, I mean, names that general people would know, like Meryl Streep was on it. Uh, Lin-Manuel yeah. Miranda, which is not surprising, uh, cause he's everywhere and is great. Um, <laughs> Christine Baranski, Audrey McDonald, like right. all these amazing people just showed up, but it was supposed to start at 5 PM California time. <laughs> and it was so not only did the first thing that happened happen in a half an hour late, uh, mm -hmm. then Raul Esparza shows up and he's muted and <laughs> and you can watch. I don't know if this is still archived. Someone definitely captured this, but you can watch this thing where he starts to do this opening monologue and then and you're just lip reading. But because you can't hear right. anything he's saying. And then a few <laughs> minutes in, his face breaks when he realizes that still, after going through this yep. once, still no one yep. can hear him. And it is so funny and perfect. Mm -hmm. oh, that's yeah. Wow. I imagine that was probably funnier than anything SNL has put out in the past forever. Yeah. I have a lingering affection for SNL. You know, it's one of those things where when they said, we're going to do a show, I was like, I am glad that this cultural institution still exists. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, that, that, it, it's definitely a sense of normalcy. I just like, and this is me being a cynical, you know, shriveled, cold, black heart over here. But uh, any of the, you know, comedy reunions like the Parks and Rec thing, it's just like, God, if if people are getting, you know, some droplets of serotonin out of that, that's fine. But I cannot think of something that I would want to watch less than that kind of thing. Like, I just, I don't care, man. <laughs> I would have agreed with you right up until Porcupine Racetrack. Oh, and dude. I, well, TJ, TJ and I bonded over this on Twitter, but that yeah. was, well, I think we, we discussed this, but it's like, so, okay. Uh, TJ, do you want to explain what, okay, first of all, you know what? Let's introduce ourselves first. Okay. Because we're already recording. Uh, this is Layton. Hi, that's me. I'm glad that I've just immediately jumped in with like, oh, I hate everything. <laughs> The other one's Brian. I'm Brian. And uh, cool. guest, please introduce yourself. Uh, hi, I'm TJ. Uh, I could give a long bio, but, you know, we'll get to that stuff in time, I guess. I am third voice. Can you give a, <laughs> a super short bio right now? Sure. Uh, the thing I am best known for is being a person who plays music in stadiums for the Red Sox and the Patriots and the Bruins and other people, which is to say that I am currently totally unemployed. 
uh, <laughs> and uh, have turned around in that interval to making a radio show on the internet five days a week. And yeah. And my background from long, long ago is in improvisational comedy, which is yes. how Brian and I know each other. Yeah. That's right. When I knew wow. TJ, he was but a lowly tech guy uh, yeah. at the Improv Asylum in Boston. And but my work has really not changed, I should note. I right. still just play music in between stuff to keep people interested. But Yeah, you just do it to, <laughs> what, what, what is it, like a thousand times the number of people? Something like that? Uh, no, more, but yeah. It's, yeah. it, uh, if it was 200 people in the basement, I guess a Bruins game is about, yeah, anyway. It's, the number of people becomes immaterial after a while. It's uh, amazing. It's just still like a 200-person basement, except bigger and no roof, and a baseball game is happening. Right. <laughs> okay, but anyway, I was going to throw to you to explain what Porcupine Racetrack is, and uh, what, like, just explain why it's so great, or what it is, well, and it... It is one of the few pure, wonderful things that exist in this world, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I mean, at its simplest, it was, a st- it was a sketch on the state, the sketch comedy group that was on MTV in like the early 90s, I want to say. I think early, that's about right. Yeah, that sounds er- yeah, early to mid, maybe. Yeah, yeah, like 92 on whatever. I think so. I think there's only like right. one or two seasons. I don't even know if they had seasons technically, but anyway, whatever. Like... As a group of people, you look at it and you're like, oh, this is where like a quarter of the comedy on earth has come from in the last, you know, oh, it's crazy intervening 20 years. Yeah. They've all got on to like awesome stuff. Yeah. I would say actually probably specifically I'm a little I'm 42, but it's uh, specifically if you sort of had that as an experience when you're in high school or whatever. You know, someone having been in the state is enough of a qualifier for me to be like, like I, I watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine out of an interest in, I was like, oh, Joe Latrillo is in this. Great. Sure. 100% I did exactly the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I like Andy Samberg <laughs> a lot. Don't get me wrong. But I was yeah. like, is this going to be, because Joe Latrullo, right, has been around for a long time and mostly doing bit parts here and there. And right. I started watching it being like, is this finally going to be the thing that like <laughs> breaks Joe Latruglio? Cause he's so funny and he's so great. And it was like, and the show is, you know, super popular and, and he's amazing in it. Yeah. And like Ken Marino party down anyway, that's the state. Right. And so the most absurd sketch they ever did. And a lot of their things were just kind of light and funny and what have you was this three minute musical piece called porcupine racetrack. That was like, as if it was a staged musical and it hit all of these like, you know, I guess musical tropes would be a good way to put it. Yeah. Of all the things that like happen in a stage show and they just hit all the buttons in the space of three minutes. And I I actually, it's interesting. (laughs) So when this, this thing came out where David Wayne has been doing all these covers on Instagram when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a crazy litmus test for the cult of porcupine racetrack which like you could love the state like crazy, but there's a smaller group of those people who are like, oh my God, Porcupine Racetrack. That's correct. Like I actually posted that video on the Facebook wall of someone I haven't spoken to in like seven years. <laughs> like I just know that it's her favorite thing also. And her reaction was just, oh my God, I'm so happy. And like, you know, that it's like that kind of weird. It's a very specific sensibility. It looks like if you ever saw the, the Warren Beatty Dick Tracy movie it's that kind of like <laughs> color palette yeah. right yeah. yeah um so okay. it's it's like pinks and yellows and pastels and 
you know, uh, and it, it, it's it's lit very deliberately, and there are all these, you know, there's, there's choreography, which is weird for yeah. a state thing. Like it feels like uh, a very style, like a kind of a guys and dolls esque period piece. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. But it's so funny. Yeah, and it was also sorry for my obnoxious typing. I just needed visuals on. Oh no, that I think that's fair. Uh, the yeah. other th- weird thing is, is that the state as a whole was unavailable for forever like, for like twenty of those years. Yes, uh, and then they put out a DVD box set that was very disappointing for a lot of people. That a lot of people like. I actually have mine, and it's still shrink wrapped. I've never opened it. I was I've very never, excited I never to even get got it. it. People were so bummed about it that I never got it. Yeah. Well, I, I wait. Why was it such a bummer? Um, they cut all. They didn't. They couldn't license any of the music, and because it was like MTV in the '90s, like the music was actually a big part. It's the same thing that happened yeah. to WKRP when they put it out on DVD, and like all these great musical jokes that were in the show yes. based on what the station was playing were just gone. And probably uh, even more famously, Beavis and Butthead, right? Which yeah. like didn't exist forever on any kind of recorded format or at least like except in maybe little clips here and there but because the videos were so central to that and at the time they just had free access to mtv's library once they were off mtv it was like well now we can do like the in-betweens which were the worst part right no it's true (laughs) yeah Yeah. like there there are like two of those cartoons that people remember and they aren't good anyway Uh, yeah yeah, and I love Mike Judge. Like Mike Judge rules, but sure, the sure the the best part about Beavis and Butthead, I remember so many, uh, so many one-liners from Beavis and Butthead. Watching them in like college dorm rooms, the one that will always stick with me uh, is when they saw a Color Me Bad video, and one mm-hmm. of them said, "Isn't that isn't this the band with George Michael, Kenny G, and Snow?" <laughs> and- uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> Spot on. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there are all a couple of those little ones that came out, and you know, and it was always exciting as a young and budding metal and industrial child when they would occasionally actually show a metal video, and you'd be like, "Oh, please make fun of this the way my friends and I make fun of it." Oh, great. Yes, and, you know. <laughs> Leighton, have you? So Leighton, uh, TJ, and I are basically the same age. I'm 45. Uh, Leighton is basically half our age, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Have you ever seen Beavis and Butthead, like the original show, Leighton? I haven't like intentionally sought it out, but I've seen bits and pieces of it. I was born in 97. So my uh, formative uh, childhood content was very early 2000s stuff. And, you know, the remnants of the 90s, but not really in the thick of it. Yeah, they they did do a revival that I will say, like they they did a a bunch of new Beavis and Butthead episodes, like maybe I didn't see them four or five. They're uh they're, I mean, they're, they're fine. They're exactly what they were then. And just set with like more modern pop culture references. Like at one point they watched Jersey shore. And if you oh can find that part on the internet, you will have like spend that five minutes and you've seen the best of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it uh, and I, and I won't, I won't go into the gags that they did, but watching that was like, great. I mean, but also this show, like it made it so that ween, you know, ever made money. Oh yeah. They, they did push the little daisies they did, as I a video that. and it became everybody was like what is this ridiculous song and because you know. i remember them remember beavis and butthead just being i think an exact quote from when they watched it was this is terrible yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh the yeah. only line i really remember was the punk, so the very first cassette i ever got was the dead milkman's beelzebubba record 
Uh, dude, I was just listening literally yesterday. This is were you listening to you. Bleach Boys? No, I was pl- I was listening to uh, Punk Rock Girl, and Rachel had never heard it. Oh, wild! Right? Whoa! Yeah, yeah. Huh. Everybody's heard Punk Rock Girl. Yeah. Thought, and Rachel is like cool and has good taste in music, so yeah. I was like, oh, she'll know this. Uh, yeah. And she'd never heard it. Sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. Uh, no, no. I, I I ended up playing Bleach Boys from that record on Friday's show because, of course, don't you want to hang out and drink some bleach? Seemed culturally right. appropriate <laughs> at that moment in time. I was like, hey guys, this existed. But for the Punk Rock Girl video, the one line I remember all the time is they show Dead Milkman and they're like, this is like the only guy in a band that you could ever see where you could probably just beat him up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, eh, that's kind of true. So anyway. Whenever I want to demonstrate to someone what a Philadelphia accent is like, I play them a Dead Milkman <laughs> song. Yeah. It is, it's so like at the time growing up, you know, semi near Philly, I don't think it stuck out to me as much, but listening to it now, it's like, oh my God. Those yeah. guys are like, I forget exactly, like precisely where they're all from, but it is so Philly. Yeah. I uh, I saw them at Axis in Boston. Did that oh, still wow. exist when you were here? Maybe. Uh, uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of just like a little, you know, a ratty little rock club or whatever. And I remember it mostly being hilarious for the fact that for Bitch and Camaro, they read the chapter of Suzanne Summers' autobiography where she <laughs> lost her virginity on stage. <laughs> while playing the whole like <laughs> intro to to Bleaching Camaro. And then they were like, you know, that guy, he had a car and you're like, hot damn. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's but awesome. The, the other crazy thing was the fire, uh, fire alarms went off and it was like, they had those, like the kind that are like hanging fog machines, more or less, you know, that like mm-hmm. pump all the, and so the whole play, nobody left. Because everybody was like, oh, wow, this is <laughs> this is a lot of effects for a Dead Milkman show. Cool. Like, you guys really... And then all the doors swing open and the bouncers are like, get out. So, Oh, my God. Anyway, yeah. And then Jeez. people left and then came back. And they left and, and they was, came back. Yeah, it was fine. But it was just deeply weird. I have a, a, a general Philly question that is off topic. Um, what is the acceptable cheese to put on a cheesesteak? Well, I mean, this is... <laughs> I feel unqualified to answer this because I know no matter what we say, someone's going to be mad. Um, I'm just going to put it out there. That's the point. Uh, I don't like cheesesteaks. I'm sorry. It's not my thing. Um, Respectfully, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it's just too much. Like, it's, I, I'm at a point where in my life where I feel like a cheesesteak is an investment. And I can identify uh, with that. I'm not willing to make that investment at this point in time. Well, it's also in the genre of like overly wet sandwiches, mm, like mm-hmm. a um, like a French dip. Like, well, not a French dip is meant to be wet, but like a meatball sub, for example, uh, which you know, great. I love meatballs. I love a sub, but you put them together, and it's like that is damp. Yeah. Um, and I don't. <laughs> you have to be careful that. about where you hold it. Like, you definitely need a plate. You can't yeah. just do it on like a paper towel in the kitchen or something. The whole point of a sandwich is that it's you can eat it on a paper towel and it's yeah. portable and it's good. Not this is a production and my hands are dirty now. <laughs> right, right. Now I need to shower. <laughs> I remember being repulsed by sloppy joes at a very young age, mm. like oh, viscerally, yeah. like oh, like you know, it's it's like imagine you, it's like a a, a scanner's version of a burger, where. Like the, the, the good part has been blown up and then it's like, why do you want this? It's, it's so, oh, and just, there's something about, I cooked green peppers mixed with stuff. I find universally Mm. disgusting. Yeah. Unless it's like a stuffed pepper. 
Oh, or yeah. like a um uh Papa's Rianus, like that that stuff's good. Just shove yeah. cheese and potato in there. Uh both of you have weaseled out of the cheese question, which I, I, I gotta be honest, too. I don't have a real opinion. Uh because I feel like the people of Philadelphia have opinions. I'll be honest, the, this cheesesteak that I will take the investment to eat at this point is a thing near my house, uh town over Waltham. This place makes something called the Moab that is the Ooh. mother of all burritos. Oh, wow. And the Moab is basically, if you kind of imagine all the best parts of a burrito and a cheesesteak together in a very, re- what I imagine must be a deeply reinforced tortilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is <laughs> low, I, low I, really, tortilla. I mean, buttresses. And uh, it's so delicious. Uh, and in that case, I will be like, this is my food for today. And <laughs> yeah. I'm going to enjoy it <laughs> in a slow and leisurely fashion. But I... I know there's like a whole recipe, like there's two different places. And like, if you go to one place, then these values and you go to these place, the other values, cheesesteak, I don't know. Do you guys know the, uh, about the famed grease trucks of Rutgers university? Have you ever heard of these? No, this is, it became more of a national thing. It was a very Jersey thing for a while. So you may have heard of so-called fat sandwiches. Is that a thing you've heard of? Like fat sals? It's getting worse for me as you tell this, as you continue to tell okay. the story, but keep going. <laughs> so there, there's some, I don't remember the exact story behind this, but basically there were these food trucks uh, at Rutgers, you know, the State University of New Jersey, uh, back in the, I think this is 80s or 90s, it definitely not past the mid 90s, because this was a thing that was like existed when I was in college. Um, and they made these sandwiches, which they called fat sandwiches. You could order one sandwich, which would have, this is one sandwich all on like a hoagie roll, uh, chicken fingers, mozzarella sticks, French fries, marinara sauce, onion rings, uh, you know, cheese, melted cheese. And so Mm. it's like these 10,000 calorie bombs. And they had this like gigantic list of, of things named after, people who had like invented them. It became like this notorious, you know, post-party drunken stupor kind of let's go eat yeah, everything sure. fried on a, on a roll. We can imagine. Do they also give you like a little cyanide pill with <laughs> yeah. it? Like that just seems like a bad time or possibly yeah. maybe just <laughs> insulin. <laughs> well, they, they now I see them in LA, like they have fat sales restaurants and I think it grew out of the grease trucks. It's like, it became, you know, New Jersey is of course, uh, the the fertile crescent of all modern culture, and it mm. just kind of populated <laughs> the mm. the rest of the country. I mean, I think if I was still a person who went out and got real loaded, and then was like, "Man, let's eat something." That sandwich sounds great, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've been very upset. Not that it matters now, but uh, there was a Taco Bell within a, a combination KFC Taco Bell within walking distance of my place, which is very important to me. And my one qualifier for choosing where I'm going to live need to be within walking distance of a Taco Is that true? Bell. I didn't uh, know that about it, you. I'm a, I'm a big bell head. Just love me some some fake food. Anyway, so the, the place closed down and it was right next to my favorite bar. Um, and it's like the one bar that I'll actually go to because I hate loud noises. I hate being drunk. I hate people, et cetera. Like I want a place I can go and read my Stephen King book and drink whiskey. Uh, but I would go there and then hit that Taco Bell afterwards, but it closed and now it's a Starbucks. Wait, did that happen recently? I feel like I was, I know what you're talking about. And it was a Taco Bell last time I was there. What? Oh no. Yep. It is now a Starbucks and there's a Starbucks literally right there. Like there's two of them right on Mm. top of each other. It's stupid. That's upsetting. Anyway, I missed my crunch wrap. That's tough. That's tough. 
East Coast food opinions, I mean, you know, TJ, you're a, a Boston guy. Like, mm-hmm. this is a difficult area to wade into and will <laughs> cause controversy no matter what side you're on. And even not having an opinion will piss people off. Before we even get into it, I'm going to say this is the thing that I get very mad about, especially when people bring up the whole, like, oh, pineapple on pizza is disgusting. If a food thing sounds gross to you, very easy to not eat it. Why are you being prescriptive of how other people should enjoy their food? Fuck off. Eat your boring pizza. I don't care. Pineapple, like, uh, oh, who's going to put pineapple on pizza? It's like a sweet thing and a savory thing. Motherfucker, how do you think food works? <laughs> you put a savory thing and a sweet thing together, and it, ta- yeah. it, and it yeah. tastes good. Yeah. Expand your mind. I, I totally agree. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> also, I'm very pro pineapple on pizza. I love it. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, I think it's fucking awesome. It's delicious. And it's, I think maybe people who hate it have only had, like, the canned shitty pineapple on pizza rather than like yeah. real good sliced pineapple and you get a little bit of that that, that, ham, that thick ham on there Ooh. we have this place in watertown uh which we only refer to as the finest pizza in all the land and now we just call it <laughs> finest because it's quicker but it's like basically like very close to a new york style of pizza and available in watertown massachusetts <laughs> and we have gotten to the point where our standard order is just a pizza with pineapple bacon and jalapeno so oh anybody, anybody who's great. mad about sweet and savory is really just going to not have an easy time with this. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, what, you want to eat mac and cheese for every meal? Right. Yeah. I mean, how many of the things are bread and cheese and sauce? So I remember TJ, you tell, <laughs> I can't remember the name of it. I you used to live next to that pizza place on Western, I think. Oh, my God. And pizza I remember ring. you telling me about how you would just get totally stoned and bang on the wall and they yep. would bring a pizza over. You could do that. Because it was the next apartment. Here's the other thing that was tough about that. I was 21 and to that point in my life had never smoked anything. And Uh my my friends basically became sick of me not doing that. And we're like, all right, tonight's the night. Let's go. And unsurprisingly, I thought that was great. But yeah, the place not (laughs) I could also order pizza with my rent, uh, which was amazing. So I could like pay for like I could pay for like July and a large pepperoni in the same check. (laughs) And like, <laughs> yeah, just put it on my tab. Was it called pizza? Pizza ring. And it was well known uh, around Boston, you know, for team nightlife because they served a double decker pizza that they would deliver until 3 a.m., which around here oh is God. real late. And the double decker was literally two pizzas inside of one box with <laughs> with a uh, like a, you know, little thing to make a shelf for the second pizza. And they sold you these two pizzas for nine ninety nine, which either even in like whatever it would be nineteen ninety eight dollars is not enough to pay for all of those materials. Uh, oh yeah, but it was um, I mean it was real good. I I lived like a block from there on River Street in Cambridge, and I never went. Like it just didn't seem. It seemed like there was actual good pizza nearby. Oh yeah, and you know. But again, like, I don't want to talk shit about the place. I never ate there. But, no, dude, uh, it was terrible. <laughs> but like, again, where else can you order a pizza by knocking on your bedroom wall? Right. Uh, which is <laughs> and, and also for this to be like, you're 21 and you've just discovered marijuana. Like it was not a good it was not a recipe for success at all. <laughs> like, 
speaking of being a baby and discovering marijuana and also having pizza, uh, the dorm that I was in at the Savannah College of Art and Design for my first year was right next to this uh, pizza place, like next to the highway, appropriately called Stoner's Pizza. Wow. No relation. Uh, Amazing. And it was such a, a strange, like it's right by the Savannah Welcome Center, like it just like really weird area. And, you know, pizza, I literally can't remember what the pizza tastes like. I vomited in that bathroom several times. Don't remember mm -hmm. the pizza. But the real star of the show was you could get a pizza box full of, like, fresh chocolate chip cookies. It was like they put the dough in the oven and then hit it with a quick, like, 30 seconds and then gave it to you. Mm -hmm. Like, they were just barely, <laughs> barely baked. And that that was the stuff of hitting a one-hitter while walking down the highway and being very paranoid about the cops then going to get a box of cookies and then shuffling into your dorm to listen to Beach House and stare at the ceiling with cookies. <laughs> it sounds like paradise, uh, to be honest. Yeah. Sucks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to ask. I don't know if we want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. Uh, <laughs> weirdest place you've barfed. Oh. Mm. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I have a very specific answer to this. I'm curious if you guys do, too. My... my Mine is unfortunate. You go ahead if you want. Oh, <laughs> my, my, mine's unfortunate yeah, yeah, too. Brian, I think several of mine. I are feel like there's no happy I puked stories, really. No. Like, okay, I'll tell. I'll, yeah, I'll tell mine because I ha I have it in mind. Because yeah. Anyway, I don't think this is actionable, and it's in another country anyway. Um, <laughs> all right. So I, the first big physics conference I went to was the annual string theory conference at. Uh, in Paris in 2004. And this was like, I had just graduated from grad school and uh, I had a big paper with a, with a big result in it that my collaborator, my advisor uh, was giving a talk on. It was like a big deal to be there because sure. it, it was like the first time I traveled uh, to Europe for physics. It was, it was amazing. And uh, one night I you know, as you do at conferences, you go out, it's Europe. So you like go out to dinner and then you go out for drinks afterwards. And I ended up going out with the Russian string theorists who of course can drink <laughs> oh like boy. nobody's business. Uh -huh. And so we're somewhere in the Latin quarter in Paris and just, you know, drinking whiskey till 3 a.m. And it was uh, definitely at that point, the drunkest I had ever, ever been. I was never a heavy drinker, and this was like, this is a lot for me to drink. Of course, the, as far as I could tell, the Russians were totally unfazed and didn't even, you know, didn't even right. bat an eye. But I was like, you know, I was really far gone. Not like blackout, but really drunk. And so, but I still had to wake up at whatever the fuck it was, 8 a.m. the next morning and go to this conference. And the conference was being held at the Collège de France, you know, this fancy building in the heart of the, the Latin Quarter, like really old building, uh, really, really fancy, you know, uh, stone staircases all over the place. And so I managed to get out of bed. I had to take the Metro to the, to the conference venue and I could just like, I I'd been hungover before, but never this bad. And <laughs> I get to the, get to the first talk and in the middle of the talk, and it's like a huge auditorium filled with people. And, but I, luckily I'm not a complete moron. So I did sit kind of towards the back cause I could, you know, I'm a scientist. I can extrapolate trends. And I was like, this, this might not go super well. So about halfway through the first talk, I was like, I gotta go. I have to find a bathroom. And I get out of the lecture hall and walk up the, the bathrooms around the next floor up. And I start walking up this beautiful 
majestic stone staircase and there's nobody else around and in the middle of it i was just like nope and blah, just Ooh. all over it like splattering off the stone in the staircase <laughs> in this fancy wow. french college <laughs> and i was so mortified i didn't even know what to do and so like if i were a decent person i would have uh gotten someone's attention and cleaned it up Instead, I found the like the the catering cart for the conference and went and got <laughs> a small rag and attempted to cover up the vomit with it, which mm -hmm. was unsuccessful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I ran away. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's beautiful, Brian. So, yeah. This is maybe bad for audio listening, but what uh, you know, vomit takes many forms. Describe that one for me. It, it was not a compact vomit. It was a, an effusive, exuberant. Right, right, right. Yeah. Vomit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I I have a few contenders. One would be uh, when I was seven. I had the stomach flu really, really bad, and I think I was just sitting on the couch with my dad, and I was starting to throw up, and there was really nowhere to go with it. And like a true MVP, uh, my dad put out his hands, then I vomited directly into my father's oh. hands. Uh, that's, that, that's a real dad right there. Um, <laughs> yep. another one was, um, it, this is maybe the worst one. I, I feel like this entire segment is going to get cut in editing, but <laughs> <laughs> no, you shouldn't. It's great. Um, this is quality podcasting content. Let's just make everybody feel sick. Um, I've only been blackout drunk once and it was with Jory watching the movie Brightburn, which is terrible and awful and no good. Um, but I got home and I guess I, you know, obviously don't recall this, but woke up mildly covered in vomit and, uh, you know, kind of it was very hungover, kind of forgot about it. And worth noting here is that I, you know, as I've mentioned on the show, I have pretty severe like sinus issues. Like I have a very deviated septum, two collapsed nasal canals and nasal cysts that I I guess can't get fixed for the foreseeable future. But it, as a result of that, I have almost no sense of smell. And so six months pass. Oh God. And I'm cleaning out and I'm cleaning out my nightstand and I open the second drawer that I never use. And it is full of rancid vomit <laughs> because I <Ooh>. guess <laughs> when I had wow. blacked out, what made sense <laughs> to me at the time was opening the drawer. <laughs> vomiting into the drawer and then closing the drawer. This rules. So wow. That is one of the worst, most horrifying discoveries I've ever made in my own home. Because if you've never had to see six-month-old whiskey yeah. vomit, I don't recommend I it. Imagine. Anyway, that one went that one went right in the trash, and then immediately I made an appointment with a uh, ENT. <laughs> Wait, so I mean, to ask you the same question, and again, you go to whatever depth of describing this you feel is appropriate for people who are listening to this. Right, right, right. I mean, what does that look like? I can't even imagine. Um, so it had, it had fully crusted oh God. <laughs> to the bottom of yeah. the drawer. Just I mean, black, I can't imagine there's any liquid, black. right? It's just like a... No, there was yeah. no liquid. I mean, it was clearly liquid sure. at the time. Um, because, you know, a good bit of it had gotten into my bed and stuff. And I'm just very grateful that I didn't, uh, Jane from Breaking Bad myself yes. uh, in that moment. Uh, that would have been very stupid. But, uh, yeah, really not great. Don't, if you're going to vomit, mm -hmm. have your little designated have your designated heavy drinking bucket yep. to go next to your bed or something. Sure. Don't a drawer is not a place to vomit. Yeah. Home Depot bucket, easiest way. Yeah. I don't think I've ever yeah. seen vomit that's more than a couple days old. 
I was just thinking about it. Yeah, right? yeah, because because a normal person would remember and clean it up. Not well. I feel like even seeing like outdoor vomit, but like then it's yes. just until it rains or whatever. Right. You know, exactly. Like it's it's yeah. And you sort of it's just and you and you don't like have to look at your drawer after that and know that there was vomit in it. Also, like you're like that piece of sidewalk. Oh is, yeah, that that yeah. immediately went in the dumpster, and now <laughs> I have a weird a weird cabinet that just has a missing middle drawer and that's where I shove my Gundam boxes and if anybody asks, I am not telling them. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, TJ, do you want to answer this? Sure. You can, you, you can opt out if you want to, of course. Well, I feel like, you know, at this point, you guys have told your stories, so. Any listener who is still listening to the show at this point, you get a gold star. <laughs> yeah, it's, um. so mine, actually, this is a story that I'm not even sure that I've told anywhere because it's a little sad, but it's not like, sobbing sad it's just a little sad in retrospect and it is uh in like the year 2000 i want to say i moved to new york for this job uh where it was actually great because my background is in tech and i literally got to write comedy in the morning and then work on the web server at night or in the evening awesome remains like maybe my second greatest job ever however you know in boston i had many friends and spent a lot of time at, at a local watering hole and my going away party, we actually broke the POS computer, uh, like managed to cause a buffer <laughs> overflow with our uh, booze hounding, which was for all of the nerds who were there. They were like, yes. <laughs> can, can I ask what that place was? Oh, Charlie's Kitchen. Yeah. Charlie's Kitchen. Okay. Yes. Cool. Without telling the long story, they had a like a holiday party in the office. I had been living in New York for, I don't know, three months or something like that. And like the first six months of living in New York are a soul crushing nightmare, no matter who you are. Yes, right? absolutely. It's the total perspective vortex. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You're just <laughs> small and terrible. Exactly and that's right. it. Yes. As a result, like I didn't really have anybody to go out drinking with at all. And so I was like, hey, work friends, we're all hanging out and drink. And long story short, they got a keg of Brooklyn lager or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I drank, oh, just so much of it. Like so much that like as a grown person, <laughs> this being a job, I'm just like, oh. Like, I hang my head in shame even now to some degree. And while there, and it was in like a warehouse, right? And it was actually a warehouse in Dumbo when that was a thing that wasn't worth all the money. And uh, I passed out on the office couch and they were like, you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm just going (laughs) to... Everybody left. And then I woke up at like, what, one in the morning by myself in this office? And I redecorated the place. Uh, I literally... I threw up in like the sales guy's drawer full of papers. Like, oh my God, dude. Uh, such a level of personal shame. And it was just like, and I mean, I cleaned it up like as best as you drunkenly can at that point. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I actually did a pretty decent job, but I did have to like the next day call. And I was friendly with the guy too, which is good. And it was only like an office of whatever, like 13 people. But I had to call him up and be like, so I had too much to drink last night and I totally threw up into your file drawer <laughs> and I have thrown away some of your files uh, because you do not want them anymore. I don't, no matter what they are. <laughs> and uh, what, what was his reaction? I mean, he actually, he, he was, he was great about it in short. That's I mean, awesome. he was, he was just like, we've all been there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to know that people vomiting in drawers is, I, it's funny, not, not just me listening to your story. It didn't even occur to me that it was the same thing. Cause it's such a, a memory of just like, <laughs> Oh geez. And I mean, like if I had to describe like tikka masala sauce everywhere, oh God. 
Oh, everywhere. Yeah, that's it was fair. tough. And it was on like me. And I just, I must have, I don't know how much of that keg I had. It was terrible. The entire experience end to end. The moral of the story is never drink. I, I, I'm retired. It's been six years, but, uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Well, Congratulations. But, uh, <laughs> I, I say that I was literally doing picklebacks out of Dix- Dixie cups on Saturday night while watching the No, Sopranos I mean, more power like, to you. Dog. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. it, it is clear if that was the story of me at 23, it is possible that by the time I became 35, it was time to retire. You can just sort of see how that, that went. <laughs> but anyhow. Yeah. You, you, you hang yeah. up the hat. After this riveting conversation about vomit, should we get into our um, the, the emails that people sent to yes, us? Yes, I think that's a great idea. So TJ, we, we put out calls for people to send us emails asking for advice or just asking questions yep. around different topics. Uh, and this week, we couldn't think of anything. So the, so the topic was random questions. Oh. Thus, we are here. I actually have my own questions, so I'm going to loop around just because it's a thing that's been on my brain. Um, All right. What, what are y'all's dreams like? Like, what form do those take? Because this is a thing I've been thinking about a lot recently, because my dreams are, and that now we're veering into conversation that I think nobody really cares about, which is people describing their dreams. But mine are completely nonsensical and very overwhelming. And they're never like, oh, I'm at school and I don't have pants on or I'm in my apartment and scary things are happening. It's literally just like I could not describe them if I tried. And also... I feel pain in my dreams, which I did not know, like physical pain. And I didn't know that that's an uncommon Mm. thing. Yep. I think, I don't know. I feel like my dreams aren't particularly weird or interesting. A lot of them involve stopping my five-year-old from doing stuff that is going to hurt her. Mm. Like apparently Mm. the other night in my sleep, I said, be careful, be careful, Audrey, be careful, (laughs) be careful. (laughs) And Rachel was like, wait, is something going? Oh no, actually, you know, he's just (laughs) dreaming again. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't think I have particularly weird or notable dreams, to be honest. But they're like grounded. I think so. Yeah, I will tell you that uh, I have had some that are weirder in our current situation than normal. And I'm trying to remember actually because you said pain that there was like something that happened in a in a dream, and I'm not going to fall down the slope of talking about specifics. But like it was, uh, <laughs> but similar to like feeling pain, it was something that happened, and I like woke up and was like, ha. Huh. I did. That was weird. I didn't know that was a thing. Like, wait, this is real life now, right? Yeah. But I will tell you that that is a legit capital T thing, apparently, in this yes, I read time about of this. global pandemic. Rachel's been having this. Rachel's been having insane yeah. dreams for the better part of a month now. Yeah. yeah. So it's first off, it's not just you, <laughs> is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's sort of how I've always been. And especially, you know, I forget that I've been on like 400 milligrams of medication that does that to you for like years and years and years. So it makes sense that my dreams are like that. But yeah, they've definitely gotten considerably weirder and they were already pretty weird. So listeners, do you have quote unquote normal dreams? Do you have really crazy dreams? Do you feel pain in your dreams? Because I'd love for that to stop happening. (laughs) So yeah, that was that was my question. Mm. All right, so I'm looking at these questions now. This is an array of stuff. Uh, sure is, yeah. All right, I'm going to dive into one here, which I feel like is the most grounded of the questions. This is from Frank. <laughs> they, them. Hey, Leighton and Brian. One of my go-to questions as a conversation starter is, if shoes were edible and... So- <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> this is a great start. <laughs> I'm so in on whatever this is. I know. It's actually, it's, I love this question. Uh, if shoes were edible and served as a meal, which type of shoe would have the highest calorie count and why? 
I've gotten answers that range from Heelys to a nice meaty pair of Tims. Mm. First, personally, I vote for a light up pair of sneakers because they look just so darn sugary. But I'd love to know your takes on this heated debate between my friends. My immediate thought is Uggs. I was oh, also going to say yeah. Uggs. Yeah. It seems as if it would be like baked and you, why would you choose it? Because to me, like the fur was sort of representing like a straight sugar, like candy floss kind of deal. And then you have the additional layer of, you know, that sort of soft, like Sherpa, whatever it is outside. And then you have the thick rubber sole. Yeah. I But I don't think that's my definitive answer. I think it's up there. Yeah. I would say maybe like a big fat, like platform heel. Yes. That's where I went first. Specifically those uh those novelty 70s platform shoes with the fish inside the sole <laughs> that yeah. you do actually have like real protein in yeah there. well that's that's exactly right it's the only shoe i can think of with living meat inside of it i mean it's certainly mm-hmm. not living well i guess at some <laughs> point yeah uh that's grim yeah I, I think you're probably right on that i mean in terms of okay so that's they're edible now and they have a high calorie count what would be the ones that would taste the best and I, I'm a, presuming these are brand new shoes. If they're edible, they're not used. I feel like I feel like Chuck Taylors are like the cheeseburger of shoes. Yes, I like that. Uh huh. God, you're so right. Yeah, Just real, you know? real basic. Yeah, right. Maybe, and you could. Some people have toppings. You know, whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, I think we nailed that one. <laughs> I'm, re- I'm re- hold on. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm reflecting on okay. it. Crocs, maybe. Because they have the little giblets on them or whatever. What are those things called? Oh, charms. <laughs> little charms. Right. Flare. flare? Yeah. What do they call? Yeah. What are, there is a name, a Croc specific name for it. Croc flare. Croc. <laughs> oh God. I thought of Crocs and they reminded me of. Uh, I think they're called like high chews. It's like this fairly mostly oh, plastic yeah, yeah, based. Yeah, those are so yeah, good. But it's it, they're plasticky candy, right? Like that's a fair description. Yeah, that and like Poochow. I really, really love Poochow, but that is totally straight yeah. up. You're eating plastic. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you, you know what shoes are, are worse for your heart. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> Clogs. Wow. Everybody welcome Boom. to the last episode of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Great. Knocked it out. I'm into it. Perfect answer. Let's see. Oh, I really like this question. Hello, Leighton and Brian. I guess purposefully excluding the mystery guests. That's kind of fucked up. Hey. Well, hello, Leighton and Brian. Recently during this quarantine, I have been watching a lot of YouTube to pass the time. Recently, I discovered this channel called The King. It's meant for children, but I watch it anyway. This guy fixed these broken lion animatronics who are in this weird band and they do covers of modern songs. It's really weird, but I found a loophole in it. The guy keeps going back to the same characters with the same ideas, and honestly, it's a little scary and has been plaguing my dreams since, since, but I still can't get enough of it. This brings the question, what weird stuff do you dive into late at night? Whether it's watching movies, shows, reading a book, or watching YouTube. This is from Red Hebei. I don't understand the setup to this. Can we, what? Okay, so the whole deal is I did, I was trying so hard to find this channel. Wait. Because when you look up. Broken Lion animatronics. Animatronics. in a weird band, kind of Chuck E. Cheese, Five Nights at Freddy's style. Mm. And they do covers of modern songs. Okay, that part I get. But then he found a loop. How do you find a loophole in a band? That- I feel like loophole is the wrong word. Just so you guys know, I'm looking at the Google Doc and Brian just highlighted the word loophole, which I really appreciated. <laughs> yeah. 
good. Um, I think with my I, mouse. I think loophole is the wrong word. And it, this is why I was trying to find it because I, I, this, I'm baffled by this because I was trying to look up lion animatronic king. Mm. Surprise, surprise. All that comes up is the Lion King stuff. So Red, please send us a link to this because I want to see it so bad. And I want to understand what the latter half of that paragraph means in terms of it going back to the same characters with the same ideas, because that sounds like uh, every single piece of media ever. But to get to the question, what weird stuff do you dive into late at night? Boys, weigh in. Oh, um, I actually, for me... It's I, I, I tend to revisit old uh, books, specifically like comedy or pop culture books. So there are two in particular that I really are good late night reads. Uh, one is the AV Club uh, when they do their inventory uh, columns, whatever you call them, articles, uh, 13 songs ruined by saxophone solos, something like that. Uh <laughs> turned these into a book probably about 10 years ago and they're just fun uh, this is in like the days of like nathan rabin and other people i forget zach handlin i think we're, we're writing uh for the av club and they're just really you can just open up to any page read about 20 cool pop culture things close it and move on that it, it's just an easy book to pick up and put down the other one Layton, there's zero chance you know about this TJ, there's a small chance you do. It's a National Lampoon book from the early 80s called Mediagate. Might even be mid to late 80s. Do, do mm. either of you have any idea what I'm talking about? Uh, right up until nope. the book. I mean, I'm aware of National Lampoon and have some of their books, but I don't know that one. It, there were two books, National Lampoon books, I used to love when I was a kid. One was called A Harvard Education in a Book, which is really funny. And I lent it to a friend years ago and still don't have it. Uh, so that's gone forever, but they had this book called media gate where it was basically just, you know, like national lampoon style, a collection of comedy pieces and, you know, and they would kind of group them by, you know, hear like dumb TV show ideas. It's, it's this weird concept book about, a uh, a, a kind of hearing about, uh, you know, the insidious, uh, stuff happening in pop culture, but it's just a good humor book from the eighties that I really love. Hmm. TJ, what, what do you visit late at night when, when you want some good this content? This person asking the question may have been wise to exclude me, actually, uh, because I, uh, <laughs> to be honest, in now that we're in the aftertimes, as it were, I fall asleep like every night making a radio show for the next day. Right, right, right. Yeah, my life is a lot like the Hatch and Lost now. <laughs> Dude, I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, it just uh, epsilon away from tweeting, we are all Desmond now. Like, yeah. and I never did it, mm -hmm. but I was absolutely thinking about that. Like when this all started, it, the, the feeling was so strong, literally the second episode of the show. And now I'm on like 31. I started rewatching lost just, oh, wow. just to get to, I think like the second show I ended up playing, make your own kind of music, uh, yep. just, you know, whatever, not, not an interesting answer to the question because like falling asleep over your laptop and the like playlist editor I'm using is, you know, not terribly exciting for anyone. I think like. Before this, I would probably fall asleep. I don't know. Like, there's always the amusing moment. Uh, I do occasionally play the Fortnite. And uh, right. there is no greater delight than waking up on the couch to find your dude just like running into a wall, you know, because <laughs> you've been asleep the whole time. And he's just like, you fell asleep playing Fortnite. Yeah. That's awesome. And I'm just like 
you know, walking right into a cliff, like we're going this way because you fell asleep with your thumb on the thing. And <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have anything exciting and fun to add to that one though. Layton. That's fine. That's a legit What's answer. Yours? Um, mine is, it, it always ends with me just looking at weird shit online. So as an example of this, I, I had to do the thing where I closed all my Chrome, Chrome tabs on my phone. Cause I, instead of giving the number, it just gives you the little smiley face. That means you need to stop. <laughs> Uh, and that you have over a hundred tabs open, <laughs> but I'm just going to read in order what the tabs that are open on my Chrome thing right now, because this, these are, I guess, just where I end up late at night. One, we got an episode of revisionist history about, uh, the satire paradox, coronavirus update, live chest tight anxiety, <laughs> Wikipedia, the troubles Wikipedia, Michael Haneke's cachet, which is a great movie that you should watch. Uh, um, let's see. An inhabitant of Carcosa, Carcosa, which is one of my favorite cosmic horror stories. Truth, torture, like, in the American wait, wait. way. Google Carcosa, search. You, like the yellow king. Huh? Carcosa. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's that's fuck Lovecraft, racist piece of shit hack. Doesn't know how to write. Uh, that's that's my hot cosmic horror take. Like everybody, fuck fuck Lovecraft. Get on that Ambrose Bierce and uh, Robert W. Chambers shit. Like they're the they're the real ones. Anyway, Truth, Torture, the American Way, U.S. Army and CIA Interrogation Manuals, The Demon Lover by Shirley Jackson, Decorderate Posture, Hedonic Treadmill, uh, Twin Peaks Topics uh, on Compassion and the Return. So those that's that's what I've been looking at. Wow. Well, I think you won those answers. Like, Got him. Yeah. <laughs> the, the actually weird things to be looking yeah. at. Did you know that decorderate posture is an abnormal posturing in which a person is stiff with bent arms, clenched fists, and legs held out straight? It's a thing that happens when you die. And I was reading about Can it. Can you spell because, that? De uh, the last pod. Decorderate? D-E-C-O-R-T-I-C-A-T-E. -E. Okay, got it. Yeah, it was a thing that I was reading about because of the JFK assassination. Like in the Zapruder film, when you see his arms kind of go up, it's a thing that happens when you get severe damage to your brain. That like that just kind of oh. happens. It's sort of like the... Um, if you die in a fire, uh, you go into what is called a pugilistic stance where like you're the way that your body ends up curling up. It like looks like you're about to get into a fight. Hmm. So, Red, there's an answer to your question. <laughs> and you say you've been having strange dreams. Hmm. <laughs> Wonder why. Don't know why that would happen. All right. What's what's another good one here? I, I like this one, even though it requires a little bit of thinking. Yeah, do it. Um, so this question's from Jamie. What, if any, commercial convince you not to buy the product that they were pushing? Oh, actually, so I was just thinking about this the other day because I saw, I hadn't thought about this in years, but someone tweeted the head-on apply directly to the forehead. <laughs> yeah. Head-on apply directly to the forehead. Yeah, that one was just like, are you fucking kidding me? No, I'm not going to buy. Like, just. That was a specific era. Yeah. What else? There is like pop culture things where it's like, I'm not going to see that movie. But I think it's more interesting sure. if we exclude pop culture uh, from this. I will never, ever give my car to a charity that's not a charity that's fake for children whose phone number begins with uh, 877 and they have a terrible <laughs> jingle that goes with their name. And hopefully I've described that in a roundabout <laughs> enough way that it didn't immediately put it in anyone's head. But I can't. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh. I, yeah, Eight, I don't know seven, either. Seven seven cars for kids. Oh, okay, yeah. What the fuck are you talking oh, about? First off, don't look it up. Really, don't. It's the worst. Uh, it's actually possibly the worst song ever recorded. I'm willing to say that out loud. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, I mean, now you have to probably, and it's not even a real charity. I mean, it's like not a very good charity if it is somehow a charity. But the song is like, I mean, 
I used to turn off the radio entirely when it came on and be like, I am done with the radio today. Like whenever it's like like the reverse of like a, you know, a new heart drinking game. Like the minute that this song comes on, it's over. Like that's it. Forget it. I'll turn the radio on again tomorrow and screw you for playing this terrible fucking thing. Uh, I, uh, another one that occurs to me is, and I know people have divided opinions on this. The, now this is from when I was growing up. I don't even know if they still advertise these on TV, but the Cadbury cream egg commercials, which make it look like the single most disgusting thing you could possibly eat with a, like this gooey, yolky sugar in the middle. Oh, really? I feel like I can remember this. Really upset me. They are inherently kind of disgusting. I love them, but they're so fucking gross. And I didn't even realize until recently that the little orange bit in the center is meant to be like a joke. I was just always like, this is an unctuous mystery substance that I'm just going to ignore. I feel like the Cadbury uh, caramel eggs are where it's at. Like, I don't want that weird, gritty. I've never eaten a cream egg. I refuse to. I just won't do it. That's it's I, fine. They're I feel fine. like that they they're one of the many candies that were better in an era where they involved actual sugar and not whatever sugar substitute like you right. know corn like syrup, corn syrup or, whatever. or whatever. Yeah, like I I feel like yeah. literally my childhood memories of these things being delicious are correct and they are just no longer delicious. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was really mad about that. I I really when I was a kid like oatmeal cream pies were my favorite. What thing. is that? Um, I've never even heard of that. Uh, it it's like a little Debbie kind of. It's like two soft oatmeal cookies, and then there's sort of like a marshmallowy cream in the middle. And they used to be way bigger. And now when you buy them, a they're not good anymore. B they're just like so small. It's depressing. I mean that happens with every single food. They're just getting smaller and smaller mm-hmm. and more expensive. But uh, that one's a bummer because that's a that's a nice little treat mm-hmm. that doesn't make you feel like complete shit, like something like a cosmic brownie might, which is just a dense little brick of right. chocolate hell. Right. But if you had one of those in school, you're the coolest kid on the block. <laughs> I think my answer to the commercial question is lately I've been really pissed and mad because YouTube ads like it actually, you know, what? in general, any sort of like catered to shit that you've been searching or potentially talking about in real life that your yes. computer's like, hey, I noticed you were talking about that. I'm getting really offended now because I keep getting side ads that are like, are you depressed? Mm. This medication can help. But it's like, OK, fuck you, first of all. <laughs> I am, but I don't need you to ask because of my search history. Um, But the the one that's been really bothering me is that on YouTube, I keep getting ads for like pickup artist courses where it's always some asshole with awful facial hair being like, look, guys, are you tired of talking to women? And then they end up (laughs) ghosting you when it's going well. And like literally in front of a whiteboard that's like, stop being a quote unquote nice guy. Reel them in. Like, fuck. Come on, seriously? And it's like, gee, I wonder why women... You get video ads for Yeah, this? and it's like, wow, I wonder why women don't want to talk to you. It must be completely inexplicable and must be their fault, not you creep ass when you're with your weird, like, the open button shirt that's opened too many buttons mm. down. Man, put on a shirt. Nobody and also, right now, who's picking up anybody? Like, this is not the time for um, those ads. <laughs> Right. No, it's not. I mean, of course, that doesn't stop. I have been surprised as um, a, a chronically not horny person at how many like people I know who are just super on Tinder right now, like not meeting up with anybody. But I mean, right. you know, I just whatever. OK, <laughs> this this feels like a very unhorny time. <laughs> if there was a great <laughs> phrase to sum up everything we've gone through, like, yeah, it's an unhorny time. I, I myself, the, it's a deeply unsexy I am time. I'm wildly to be a human. not turned on by the day's events. 
Like, just in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Hey, do you like horror movies? Are you stuck at home right now just waiting to get funny games or perhaps The Strangers? Duh. Well, have we got the thing for you. In honor of our upcoming horror history series, Deep Cuts, hosted by yours truly, we've partnered with Shudder to bring y'all a special offer. Late night listeners, that means you, can get an extended 14-day free trial for Shudder and access to their full library of amazing horror movies. All you have to do is go to Shudder.com slash sign up, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R, and enter promo code DEEPCUTS. For people who don't listen to Late Night and are thus not cool, they only get seven days. Late Night listeners get 14. That's two weeks of horror content. And if that's not a peach, I don't know what is. So now that you have no excuse, I am simply demanding that you watch some great horror movies, such as Audition, Ginger Snaps, In the Mouth of Madness, Tetsuo the Iron Man, The Taking of Deborah Logan, The Love Witch, Knife and Heart, Revenge, literally all of the Friday the 13th movies, Dogtooth, Neroi the Curse, The Exorcist 3, A Tale of Two Sisters, and so many more that I couldn't possibly list them all, but they're very good. So scoot on over there with promo code DEEPCUTS, and let's get spooky. Or else. Oh, uh, let's do one more, and then move on to the pop culture thing. Uh, I'm going to do this last one here. I feel like that's a... Okay. Well, I don't know. It, Leighton, it's so you that there's a million things that... All right, I'll, ju- I'll just read this, and then you. this is going to be basically the same that. answer to... Uh, maybe, that. Whatever. I'm just going to read it. Hello. My name is Eli, and my random question for you is, is there an oddly specific subject or topic that you've learned about and you're dying to talk about but can never bring up? For me, one of those topics is nuclear disasters, but that's not something you can really bring up in everyday conversation. First of all, yeah. yes, you can. Yeah, why not? The Chernobyl miniseries written by Craig Mazin just won a bunch of awards. Yeah. Of course you can talk about nuclear disasters. Who gives a shit? Also, I saw um, someone tweeting the other day, like, I forget who it was, but the tweet was, cool, the last thing 2020 needed is a succession crisis in a nuclear-equipped yep. state. <laughs> yep. yep. So I retweeted that. It's great. Yeah. Maybe that's where I saw it. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, uh, I'm very selective, but when, when someone makes a great point, I'm like, yep. Hey, rest yep. of the internet, take a look at this. Yep, totally. Uh, yeah, I feel like my life is the story of this question. Yeah, mine too. Totally. Yeah, I, in fact, yes, you would be another person who definitely that's true for where you're like, I have a number of interests that I can only talk about it with a third of my friends. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Por- porcupine racetrack being one of these things. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah, exactly like it's a. Uh, that's where it comes from for me. Like, th- you know, in order to avoid working on a project this weekend. I spent the time, and here I'm just going to talk to whoever understands this, I spent the time putting the entire contents of the Etsy directory on my Linux cloud instance into Git for uh, revision management. File by file, going through, deciding which one was important and which wasn't. It was a colossal fucking waste of time, but it was basically either the equivalent of me like drawing the little thing in my Zen garden and or mm-hmm. like cleaning your entire house because you don't want to write a paper. <laughs> Wait, did you say Etsy? Yes, Etsy, not like the thing that where you buy crafts. Uh, oh, is, okay, okay, okay. I'm not in gotcha. the in Linux. It is like where all the config files are. Slash etc. Etsy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. gotcha. In okay. fact, there's probably somewhere a Linux or a Unix person listening to this who's like, it is etc. 
It is not right. Etsy. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Wait, wait, wait. You expect yeah, yeah. me be- expect me to believe that somewhere a Unix person is being pedantic? <laughs> <laughs> seems seems unlikely. To For honest. a thing that was invented by the same people who brought you LSD, <laughs> yeah. it's a very weird mix of like uh, the psychedelic and the no, no, there are rules. So yeah, I wait. What BSD was Berkeley, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Uh, the first like early versions of Unix were. Uh, created at UC Berkeley. I think that's right. Around the same time as acid became a thing. Yeah. Mm. Which, yeah, I don't know. Depending on how you look at it. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things that probably looks like it correlates in reverse, but those guys maybe didn't hang out or maybe they did. So yeah, probably the, the acid people were doing their own stuff and not really socializing that much. Yeah. Um, But then again, that's equally descriptive of the Unix guys. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, totally. There's a there's a book I read, uh, I don't know, it was a couple of years ago now, uh, by David Kaiser called How the Hippies Saved Physics. And it's about how the, what's called the Fundamental Physics Research Group at Berkeley in the 60s uh, kind of led to uh, a lot of ideas in modern like quantum cryptography and things like that. Like these guys who were, you know, they'd go to Esalen and get fucking stoned and you know, trip balls and uh, then think about quantum physics. So, you know, and they were all kind of hanging out in the same uh, same circle. So there might have been this bridge between the Unix people yeah. and the acid people and the quantum mechanics people. And there's all this. It's a, it's a really interesting book. This was not a majority viewpoint in the 60s. But, you know, there's this idea that like quantum entanglement means that ESP is possible. Right. Because this is not a, I, I have to say, I do not consider this a serious idea. I'm sure someone would yell at me for saying that, but uh, I, I love that you waded into this when one of the questions that we got was about quantum entanglement and ESP. Oh yeah, I for, really? God, is that is that way I saw something yeah, about it? It's the very first question in the document that I mostly put in there. Sorry to Al, uh, oh, but yeah. for you to roast them. <laughs> no, it's it's like there there's some a very small group of scientists that think this is real. I have to say this really seems unscientific to me, but the idea is that you know. Uh, if two particles can be entangled and quote unquote communicate at distances that would require a super superluminal uh, speed, uh, then maybe ESP is real. It, it's 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 not a very rigorous idea, but this uh, this group in in Berkeley in the '60s was trying to like prove psychic phenomena using quantum mechanics, and shocker, it didn't work. But uh, the trying to understand deep properties of quantum mechanics like entanglement did lead to very interesting ideas in things that basically became modern quantum computing. So it's an interesting book, How the Hippies mm-hmm. Save Physics by David Kaiser. That's fun. I guess I'm, I'm doing the exact thing this question is asking about, which is yeah. t- talking about a book that I read that I don't know anyone else that read and just did a little. I mean, but fascinating. So. Yeah, cool stuff. Leighton, do you want to spend 45 minutes answering this question? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been juggling in my head. I don't even know what to possibly go off about because this question is just my entire personality. Yeah, totally. Um, and it, it's it's not like uh, that, <laughs> that you're dying to talk about but can never bring up. No, friendship with me is I'm just going to prattle about this shit forever. Off the top of my head, uh, there's a really interesting... I'm, I'm very curious about online late 90s, early 2000s fandom history mm. because 
you know, we look at a lot of stuff that happens now with Tumblr and all that of like, oh, it's really crazy. It's gotten so much worse. And it's like, it is not even remotely gotten worse. (laughs) You just see more of it. It has always been like this. It's always been insane. Um, But there are a lot of like really well written accounts of just sort of like some very intense drama that went down. And one of my favorites is uh, the story of Mrs. Scribe on the Harry Potter forums in like 2002, 2003. The story uh, I'm of, not gonna give of it what? Mrs. Scribe? Her, Mrs. Scribe. Her, that was her handle on one of the uh, Harry oh, Potter uh, websites. I but I don't know how to summarize it other than you should just look it up and read about it. It's basically this woman who was a really prolific and popular fan fiction writer on the Harry Potter forums who constantly got into drama with other people, but then was just like a compulsive liar and made up these other puppet accounts and like other people that she was claiming were like her lawyers or her friends who were defending. Like she made up this whole story about her laptop getting stolen and was like anonymously flaming other users. Like it's a really well-documented story and it's just really wild the level of commitment this woman put into like, you know, it's as with any person on the internet who really just goes to great lengths to be a different person. Um, but it, it's very funny to me how intense these people got about Harry Potter ships. And a major character in one of those stories, uh, Cassandra Clare, who was getting flamed for writing um, uh, Ginny and Ron incest fic, much like uh, Fifty Shades I, of I, Grey. Sorry, I believe, I believe that's t- called Gincest. <sighs> Brian... <sighs> Anyway, <laughs> dropping bombs. It's what I do. Without without Fifty Shades of Grey was a Twilight fanfic. Um, that Ron and Ginny fic later became the wildly popular young adult series of uh, Mortal Instruments that got made into a TV show that also featured an incestuous brother sister relationship. Mm. Um, so it, it's just like strange what kind of uh, breeding ground, literal breeding grounds, uh, fandom communities can be. So that's interesting to me. I have a weird thing to add to that. Which is uh, do it. So I mentioned that as a result of of uh, having Hatch identification with Lost, I started rewatching the show. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I don't remember the name of the bulletin board that was all. Of, there was a bulletin board that was all about you know Lost fandom and people trying to figure out their theories. But I mean, there was a lot of that sort of in general. But uh, it's funny to me. Like there was one that the creators were reading. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And I'm now like in season three of Lost and the number of things that they say that I'm like, oh, you're just talking back to the message board, you bastards. At some tipping point, you no longer care about their lives from outside the island. And you're like, what is happening on the island? But it's like when you're reading a book that switches around chapter to chapter and there's one character you don't like and you're like, okay, yeah, okay, great. Are we going to get back to the good people again? There we go. Like, you know. So (laughs) that that book is uh, book four of Song of Ice and Fire. Like, that's exactly what that is, where it's like, all right, come on, let's get fucking Tyrion back in here. I made it until, before the television, I made it to the Red Wedding in that series, and then having learned the names of 200 major characters and the way that they interact, and then like 170 of them dying in one scene, I I literally (laughs) put the the fourth book underneath my giant 32-inch tube TV at the time. Like lifted it, put the book under, and was like, "Never take this out." I threw away the third book. I was like, "Fuck this whole series! I am done." And it seems to have been a good choice, time-wise. Yeah, I, I, wow. I, I've read them all. Uh, I mean, I read *Dance with Dragons*. I don't know, not quite when it came out, but within a couple of years, and was warned about the fourth book 
being like, hey, all those characters you like, they're not showing up for another 800 pages, so have fun. <laughs> and yeah. like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't say I was really into it. What I what I didn't, I, I had not read them. There was a big article in the New Yorker about the, the schism in the fandom. Uh, this is maybe 10 years ago now. And it's one of these great things where like there are these competing fan sites and some Leighton, I feel like you must know something about this. Uh, like some of them are, you know, like very pro uh, George R. R. Martin and others basically just hate him now because of how long he's taking to do the books. Uh, a lot of them, this might've been just when season one was going or maybe not even that, but I had not heard of Game of Thrones before I read this New Yorker article. And it was like, oh my oh. God, that's the fan base. Not realizing that that's every fan base. Yeah. It's just the ones that you see. I, my high school boyfriend forced me to read the first book and then bought me the second book as a Valentine's Day gift. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, Max, that's maximum high school read. boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. Woo, yeah. Big time. Um, <laughs> that is so funny. I just like, God, zero, zero fucking interest. I've never watched the show. I'm really like high fantasy. I love the concept of just like, it's a fucking wizard. He's got powers and there's dragons and shit. But I, it, in practice, I just hate it. Like extensive world building. And it's just like, oh, I don't know who's going to get the throne. Like, man, I don't yeah. care. I was so. I don't give a single shit. So into that stuff. See, being super indoor also, like I played a ton of Dungeons and Dragons as a kid. When everybody was suddenly like, this TV show's got dragons. I was like, okay. Like <laughs> dragons are good. What what happens with the dragons? Oh, they don't show up for like ever. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I watched the first episode, the first season. And then just was like, all right, yeah, that's fine. But yes, yeah. also being like, I, I was in when I was like 13, reading all those shitty 80s fantasy novels was mm. like my thing. I read them. I read the Sword of Shannara. I read the Piers Anthony stuff, all the yeah. Piers Anthony stuff. Yeah. Uh, what else? Dragonlance. Oh, could, yeah. could I have been more into Dragonlance? No, I could I not. I don't know. You would like, have to the, fight me for supremacy. Uh, <laughs> we would have me and my other like, you know, 13 year old guy friends would have yeah. these endless arguments about who was which character in Dragonlance. A, a book series, by the way, that I cannot now name a single character from. Like, oh, really? I, yeah. So it goes. Uh, I'm okay, sure if you said enough. it, was there, was there a Cameron? A guy named uh, Cameron? No, but now that you said Cameron, I'm not going to... Caramon was the first Caramon. brother, and then Raistlin yes. was the Raistlin. big guy. Yeah, there you go. He, he was like the magic user brother, yes. right? He was really yes. the central character of the entire thing, in the way that like Darth Vader is arguably the central character of, if you want to watch a Star Wars movie other than the first one. Who like, was the... What was his name? He was a, a Tinder? A little elf guy? Kender. 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 Which was the, we can't do hobbits because that's Tolkien, so right. let's have our yes. own weird thing so this is i actually read these i never read lord of the rings because i read Dragonlance first and because i foolishly picked up an edition where the summaries on the back of the book were like frodo and his friends begin a long walk and then book two was like frodo and his friends continue a long walk and book three was like frodo and his friends having completed their long walk and i was like all right i don't care about this even yeah. though they're very very similar i did learn a weird thing about those books which is apparently that they were based on a campaign that those two people played. The Dragonlance like, books? They like wrote up, yeah, they wrote up uh, a hmm. version of, a, of, of their D&D game, more or less. Uh, wow. And that was the basis that, I mean, and I'm sure it went on from there, but like, yeah, it was a crazy series of books. Well, they, it turned into a D&D &D, like module, right? 
Yeah, they had special rule sets, which are, to be honest, less than 10 feet from me right now. Uh, <laughs> 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 along with many of the books. Uh, yeah, I was that, that really was right up my alley when I was a kid. Those were... I, to the point that I, 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 at some point, like three months ago or something, uh, Ken Tremendous tweeted. I don't remember what exactly he was describing. It was it's probably a great Mitch Mc- Twitter account. Yeah, but yeah. He, he, he may have been describing uh, Mitch McConnell. I don't know what, but he compared something to this like just evil, manipulative, whatever. And he just posted a picture of Raceland from one of the books. Nice. And I was like, I am so very seen in this moment. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm such a fan of you and. You're exactly the indoor kid I hoped you were. Oh, great. Like, anyway. I remember reading... My, my parents knew I was into fantasy stuff, and they got me the Stephen R. Donaldson Thomas Covenant books when I was like 10. And there's a lot of real adult shit that happens in those <laughs> books, including the main character who has leprosy. There's like sexual assault. There's like, there's a lot of really fucked up stuff. Mm. And I was reading those in like fifth grade or something and really, re- A, like didn't understand anything and B, should not have been exposed to what was clearly intended for just adults at that age. Right. For me, that was the Illuminatus trilogy. Uh, which I never read. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Saved yourself a lot of time. For me, that was when I was in third grade and this was like third grade through to middle school because I was just like really obsessed with this for some reason. But my favorite book in third grade was The Da Vinci Code. Uh, And I also really loved Angels and Demons. And then like uh, one of Dan Brown's other books, Deception Point. Um, I think it really speaks to the quality that me as eight years old was like, damn, the shit's deep. Well, I, I think that's the third grade is the right reading level for a Dan Brown book yeah i'm I'm glad you said (laughs) it's 100 true yeah (laughs) i love that every single book ends with some awful pun where the male protagonist is like hey hot lady scientist let's fuck (laughs) like every single one ends with that sort of line Mm -hmm. anyway great reading for a child tj were you a sort of shanara guy because that was my other one that i loved growing up uh no i could actually tell you like i'm picturing the two kids who were super into that from my sixth grade Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never, I, I was down a Dragonlance hole and, uh, I think I bought the first book and then I just never really got to it. Uh, but I remember people being into it. I just, it, I down a hole. I'm telling you, I, it was, <laughs> I just went down a, a Wikipedia wormhole of those books. Cause I haven't even thought about them in like 20 years or something. And, uh, I like, I was reading all the plot summaries and, oh my God, I just like, it brought back so much. So that 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 is one that seemed to like explicitly start off as Tolkien fan fiction. Like, yep. it, I mean, admittedly, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Terry Brooks. You can like map the characters one to one onto sure. Lord of the Rings characters. And uh, it, it's like, I, I still loved, I mean, as a kid, I read Lord of the Rings. I read that. I loved it all. I didn't, you know, it didn't even occur to me. In fact, probably I liked it more because I knew exactly what was happening. Um, and the other thing I remember, this is just a visceral thing. Do you remember, I don't know if they still do this, but they did it a lot with like eighties fantasy novels where you would have like the normal paperback size thing, but then there was like a large paperback size thing that was maybe, I don't know, instead of being whatever, five inches tall, it was like seven or eight inches tall. It's like a bigger thick. You mean like, like a trade paperback and a mass market one, like that kind of difference. I get, I don't even know the different, like, oh. I know those words, but I don't know what they mean. Maybe that was it. 
And I think that's probably what you're saying. Yeah. But go ahead. Oh, okay, cool. Well, that I learned, I've heard those terms. I didn't even know what they meant, but yeah. yeah. So I remember I had the elf stones of Shannara in the, the larger version of that, that and the mists of Avalon were the two books oh, I had yeah. that were kind of like the bigger ones, which I never read. I never oh, read the, no, I, yeah, no, you're talking about Avalon. even bigger than trade paperback. Yes. I know what you're talking about. Cause <laughs> yeah. I had that mists of Avalon and that book is, was large. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that that I, yeah. size. Yes. Yes. The one that was like a sky blue color. I got you. Yes. Yep. Exactly. And that was one of those books. I'm now turning I, around and looking behind me being like, is that book here too? <laughs> should we go on to what's popping? Should, that what should we do the, the other segments on this show yes. real quick? I'm going to go get more water and then apply deodorant because we've reached the point in the day where the sun blasts directly into my apartment, <laughs> turning me into a honey baked mm-hmm. ham, just burning yeah. to a crisp in the oven. So I will be right back. Okay, cool. TJ, this next segment, this is our pop culture recommendation segment. Which sure. is, it's ironic that we have this because the entire podcast is basically a nonstop stream of pop culture recommendations. But this is our specially designated pop culture segment. What I've decided also to do, Layton, is really stretch this bit out to make it as long as, as possible. I'm, I'm going to try to... Well, you know, it, it totally works because this is the last episode, so really relish <laughs> it. <laughs> so this is the, yeah, I don't know if I said this, this is the segment where we give pop culture uh, recommendations to each other in the audience and it's called What's Poppin' and here is the theme song. What's Poppin'? What's Poppin'? So, TJ, as a an audio professional, mm-hmm. what did you think of the theme song? Uh, I confess to being fully unable to hear it. Okay, so once again, this bit has failed and... <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> God damn it, Brian. <laughs> and uh, which is why I will keep doing it. As an audio professional, however, I, I wish to advise you that the answer you're looking for is a program called Audio Hijack, which oh, allows really? you to to boldly reroute system audio from any application or the system itself to any other application or input output device that you want. Okay, is also- perfect. See, but Brian, Brian doesn't want that. The whole point of the bit is that he won't play the song, the the guest will not hear it, and then he grills them what they thought about it, and like 50-50, maybe 75-25, the person's like, I, I didn't hear it. Some people, yes, I think 75-25. Sure. But, it, 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 yeah, one, as I've admitted, uh, it 100% reads as an audio malfunction, and mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. Cool. I mean, I like it as a bit. Of course you would. Oh come on! Boom. All in the, right. In the two, in the two, uh, the two episodes of this that I have not quite finished, I have clearly not reached this joke yet. Otherwise, I would have known what was happening. <laughs> well, oh, well, it's better that you did. Wait, you listen. You might, you might be the first guest who actually listens to the show. Uh, maybe. Uh, I listened to the first one, and I spent portions of yesterday and today listening to. I think the last one Rachel was on. Nice. Yeah. Oh, I. I I really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. Dude, you said something so nice about it on Twitter. I kept meaning to say thanks. And then by the time I remembered, the tweet had moved away from the timeline. But I appreciated you, you know, saying nice things about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was happy to. I was like, oh, you're doing a podcast. That's great. And then it was just like nonstop delight all the way through. That's amazing, dude. Thank you. Wow. I think I may have had the feedback in your first episode where I was like, you guys need to introduce yourselves. What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that might have been you. Might have been me. Anyway. So, TJ, what's popping? Right. So I thought about this a bunch because popular culture is any media here, right? Anything. Yep. Yeah. I think my choice is, weirdly enough, a book. Great. Um, 
most of the things I picked were books that I would recommend to anybody because, quite honestly, I have not managed to do a lot of reading in this great period of indoorsness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have a certain yearning to get back to what used to be like a book and every other day habit. It's just been hard to get into it. Uh, and it's yeah. pretty recent, actually. So it might be a thing that people are aware of. Yeah. Are you guys familiar with Nathan Pyle's book, Strange Planet? No. No. I, uh, it is wonderful. It is absolutely wonderful. Um, you can find Nathan Pyle, I believe, on Twitter at Nathan W. Pyle, and he does tweet out some of the comics that are in the book or that he is writing now. And the whole basis of it is basically like two possibly two to three possibly alien people. Oh, I've seen this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know what you're talking yeah. about. Well, it has a book uh, that came out, I think, last year, and it's like a pretty, you know, it's kind of like five by five hardcover book. And it is, I mean, I laughed out loud reading a book, which doesn't happen that much. And I read it, I think, in two breakfasts, and it was very uplifting and wonderful and, and made me laugh a lot. So that, that would be my, hey, if you're not familiar. First off, you can probably surf some of it via Twitter just in terms of deciding whether you like it. But the book was great, and I only look forward to reading it again. So there you go. Cool. That's lovely. Uh, Layden, what's popping? Uh, what's popping is that this week I watched a very good movie uh, directed by Satoshi Kon, who also directed Perfect Blue, which I recommended on the show before, is maybe one of my favorite movies. Um, but he directed another movie called Paprika that oh. is about about. Yeah, have you seen Paprika? I saw the trailer stoned and was <laughs> yeah. completely like it first off the trailer might have been like five minutes long like i was just like what is happening what continues to happen what is going on and it's on my i have it in my queue and i'm super excited to watch it so please go ahead oh it's so wonderful uh basically for people who don't know it's about uh a therapist uh t- trying to I-, I don't even know how to fully explain it basically there's a device that allows people to record and watch people's dreams and then somebody steals it Uh, And people start like going crazy because they're getting dreams planted in their head. And you might be thinking, isn't that just like Christopher Nolan's shit movie Inception? (laughs) Yes, it is. But what (laughs) if that movie was actually good? (laughs) Fair. Because Paprika is like, it's such a visual treat. Like, and Satoshi Kon's stuff is like so good because it's very cerebral and like thoughtful. Um, But Paprika does the thing that Inception extremely fails to do, which is like represent dreams as being interesting and surreal and colorful and nonsensical. Um, Whereas like Inception is about, okay, so this is about dreams. And you know, what's cool about dreams that they're weird. You know what we're going to focus on the rules of dreams. (laughs) (laughs) Like, let's just learn about the rules, man. (laughs) Let's do this washed out color palette. This guy's Uh wife is dead. Ever seen that in a movie before? Dead wife guilt? Right. No? I'm so tired. Anyway, Paprika, watch it. It's good. I'm excited to take you up on that recommendation as soon as possible. Uh, <laughs> I want to jump in and say one of my favorite jokes that very few people get when telling jokes with music at the sports ball stadiums mm-hmm. is I will occasionally <laughs> play the score from Inception when a replay review is taking too long. <laughs> Uh, and for the people who get it they're like this is the best thing and i'm like thank you for being there one person who got it Uh, are are you playing like the the, like the trombone things oh yeah yeah okay yes like kind of the you always got to go with easy stuff the people recognize but yeah it's yeah no not the long part yeah because that which could be 
every Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah. It'd be yes, terrifying absolutely. People, I remember but. I I had a therapist once, like we were going through this uh, whole thing where she was trying to have me visualize like what my intrusive thoughts look or sound like. And I, I it's important for therapy and I think it's important to do it. But when I am in therapy, I am stubborn and I do not want to do that shit. And so it's just like, I don't know, the, the sound is like the big from the Inception movie trailer, whatever. It's, that's what it sounds like, just like that all the time. Mm, cool. Uh, Brian, what's popping? Well, uh, this is, it, it's the least pop culture thing uh, in that it's a New Yorker article about a philosopher, but it is something that <laughs> I was really into today. So uh, uh, I, I am no longer a New Yorker subscriber. I used to subscribe and then, uh, as a way of shielding myself from current events, stop subscribing actually just as a mental health thing. Cause I was sure. like, if I have the magazine, I have to read the whole thing and too much of it is too depressing now. So I stopped subscribing. Well, I don't know. Let's see if I can pinpoint it. I think it was in November, 2016. Hmm. And, um, <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I see things when they're of interest and pop up and there's an article today, which is a book review by Anthony Gottlieb called the man who thought too fast. And he's, uh, reviewing a biography of this guy, Frank Ramsey. So the book that he's reviewing which I haven't read. So that's not the thing I'm recommending. I'm recommending the review of the book. So the book <laughs> is called Frank Ramsey, a sheer excess of powers by Cheryl Mizak. Again, haven't read it. Don't know. But this article is it's, it's about this guy whose name I knew Frank Ramsey, who is a, uh, a British philosopher, economist, uh, uh, mathematician in the early 20th century. And I just, I love the way this review is written. It has all these little like snippets of, uh, of Ramsey's life. I knew Ramsey cause he has a, a graph theory thing named after him cause he did work in, in, in math. So I was like, Oh, like a, like a Ramsey number, but I didn't know anything about the guy. So apparently he was this like, you know, really happy, interesting, smart wunderkind type person. And there's a specific anecdote in this review that made me think of Twitter uh, so this is talking about like all intellectuals in 1920s England. He, ha he hung out with Keynes and, uh, they're describing a summer party at John Maynard Keynes country place. So I'm just, I'm reading from the article now. Several Bloomsbury figures were there, including Virginia Woolf and Keynes's new wife, a Russian ballerina, Lydia Lopakova. Unfortunately, Ludwig Wittgenstein, who, if you don't know, was a philosopher was too. Lydia made the mistake <laughs> of remarking what a beautiful tree, presumably, presumably too casually, whereupon Wittgenstein glared and demanded, what do you mean? And she burst into tears. Yeah, that is Twitter. Isn't that Twitter? Spot on. Yeah, right there. <laughs> and I was just like, I mean, Wittgenstein, the original reply guy, right? Like, hey, it's a beautiful day out. What do you mean it's beautiful? Like, it's, you know, Wittgenstein was this, like, no, you know, famous philosophical genius and has all sorts of interesting stuff. He did philosophy of language and, and all sorts of other things. And I guess, but also philosophy of being a, of being guy. a complete douchebag. And yeah, I just, uh, to me, that summarizes modern political discourse. What a beautiful tree. What do you mean? Like, <laughs> come the fuck on. So anyway, the, the, the article is, uh, it's a book review by Anthony Gottlieb called the man who thought too fast. And it's literally like the date is today, April 27th, 2020, uh, in cool. the New Yorker. 
cool. Well, that's that sounds like that's what's popping. That's what's popping. Uh, so that means it's time for our final segment, which Layden, you may introduce. Sure. Uh, so TJ, we do this segment called Peaches and Lemons. Peaches and Lemons. Peaches and Lemons. My lovely aunt and uncle do this thing with my nieces every night at dinner where they go around the table and they share one lemon, which is the thing that was kind of a bummer or that they were disappointed about during the day. And then they share one peach, which is the thing that they're excited about or grateful for. And on this show, we do three peaches. So we each just share three things that we're excited about or grateful for or cool things that happened. Uh, and normally we would do a lemon, but um, for now, no lemons. That's fair. Yeah. If the you want a second to speak, think about it. Speaking. Yes universal lemons yeah yeah i mean i have it's funny i came up with two and then i was kind of staring into space on the third one um that's that's usually what i do too yeah yeah i would say as i imagine many people might i have a wonderful partner my girlfriend maggie who is herself a nurse practitioner who works uh with homeless people and in normal life is curing hiv and hep c whoa this is the part in the conversation where I usually say, please, nobody tell her I just play songs for a living. Um, <laughs> but obviously, in, in sight of this, the global lemon that is occurring, I am specifically grateful for her and, you know, to, on the very basic level, that there's someone else in this house sometimes, which is nice. But, you know, that it's somebody I'm very fond of and that we get to hang out and whatever. But uh, always a source of perspective, given her work. Like, I will become yeah. very mad about an interaction that I had with, say, Apple support. And, <laughs> and, and she will come home and tell me a story of human horror that she calls Tuesday. And I, I'm just like, okay, okay, perspective. Have that, you know, it, it, it's good. It keeps you, keeps you grounded, as it were. So I am grateful for her in many ways, but that is a good way to look at it in this time of lemon. Yeah. <laughs> My other thing uh, is also lemon-based somewhat, but I suppose in many ways everything is. Um, without it, it's hard to talk about without sounding like I'm plugging it, but this radio you can plug show it I've also. been... All right. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to talk about because it's a thing that I'm like very invested in and very excited about and also whatever. This radio show that I started doing kind of on a whim because a couple people said it would be a good idea in like the first weekend of Massachusetts shutting like, down. Right away. Yeah. I did a demo show on the 16th of March and then started it on March 17th and have now done 31 of these. I am so grateful for, first off, having something to do because, as mentioned earlier, I'm fully unemployed. So having a thing that I can focus on that is like an actual labor that has a you know, result and also in terms of being able to motivate yourself in this time, like the radio show starts at 10 a.m., so... You're going to need to have a radio show for that. It's actually, I've thought often of the the SNL line, you know, like the show doesn't go on because it's ready. The show goes on because it's 1130. Right. And that definitely ties to this. But uh, the great thing about it and the reason that it lasted past the first two shows is people are into it and it has sort of grown a little community around itself. There's like a live chat that people stay on all day and like keep each other company and connect through that like magical radio thing that can happen where everyone is sort of having this shared experience. And uh, it's been great. It, Dude, it's such a great show. Like, we, uh, I'm not listening every day because, you know, it's slightly on the early side for us being on the West right. Coast. But, well, you know uh, we have the uh, West Coast replay now. 
<laughs> oh, I forgot about that. For exactly people like you on the West Coast who are like, 7 a.m., really? Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway. I am a Patreon uh, subscriber, and so I see stuff on there. And it's it's great. Like, it's just, you have such fun, interesting taste in music, and it's just a joy to hear. Well, thank you very much. It, it is uh, It's a joy to make, and I'm really glad that it's working for people and it's working for me. It's like one of those things where like a couple times a week, I'll just get like a text or an email or something from somebody who's like, I was having a terrible day and this show is holding it together. And you're just like, okay, today was good no matter what else happens. You know, like yep. this has been. That's a wonderful way to look at it. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And I could talk for hours about the joys of interacting with BMI and ASCAP, but in the interest oh, of keeping this an all peaches portion of the story. Uh, <laughs> And we'll just leave it at that. I honestly don't have a third peach that really compares to either of those. Like, my other thing that I spend time on is hate watching Lost. So, like... uh, (laughs) That's fine. That's a peach. peach. On some level. It's really getting to the point where that peach needs to either be eaten or thrown away. But... (laughs) (laughs) But for all those wonderful moments, it's great. You know, it has been good. Cool. I love it. Layton, do you want to go next? I'm happy to go. I'm um, sure. Yeah, I'll go. I'll I'll come up with them on the fly because I was not thinking about it. Um, I will say my big one for this week is I've been sitting on two PCBs for an Ergodox keyboard, which is a split mechanical keyboard, uh, ortholinear, and it has, instead of a space bar, it has little thumb clusters. Uh, so I've had that very expensive PCB, and I finally got my switches in for it. So the other day I was able to install all of those switches and build the acrylic case and you know you get to peel the adhesive off of each layer of the case and I put my keycaps on it I programmed it uh mild lemon is that the cord that it came with to connect the two there's the very problematic terms and I don't know why they're using it but for the half that is like the one that mainlines into your computer that's the master <laughs> side and the other side oh, is yes. the slave A side classic awful horrible computer science term yes yep yeah. And so the USB-A to USB-A, I don't have any other of those, but it doesn't work. So I was able to flash the one side. So I have half of a working keyboard, um, but I've been very excited to have it um, just because it's it's fun to type on and learn a new thing and come up with custom, you know, macro layouts and all that. But uh, that's one peach. Second peach is I really did the good thing for myself of stocking up on frozen lasagna. So now when I watch the Sopranos, I get the full 40 cinema experience of eating frozen lasagna off of my chest while I watch Tony Soprano sit in therapy and be like, what the fuck is this shit? Uh, Cause that's just every episode. And I love it. It's very good. Third peach. Uh, the other one is still animal crossing. Like that has been a real good, just, daily like thank god for that thing i'm terraforming my island you know making a little concert hall made an arcade you know i just go and i talk to my little duck and i'm like how are you so precious tiny digital creature (laughs) so yeah that's 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 my third peach it's still good uh brian are you still playing animal crossing with audrey actually this week was the first time that i was like you know what honey just play by yourself let's see if this works and she played by herself for like half an hour and happily dug up clams. And she, we actually, we're still very early on. So she just got the shovel and she just walked mm. around digging, like entirely digging up the beach. She, it was nothing but holes. Just, mm. she went dig, dig, <laughs> dig, 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 found a bunch of clams, but that's all she wanted to do. 
and then vault across the river a bunch. So, you know, with a five-year-old, the joy of a video game is that you can exert your influence on something without consequence. And that is all she wants (laughs) to do is just, look, I made a thing happen on screen. And it's yeah. it's great. Blathers just moved to the island, so we 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 got that. There you go. Um, and so yes, it's very it's very exciting that she can play the game by herself. She's not quite good enough at reading to read most of the captions, so I'm pretty. Which is fine. Yeah, I mean, it seems like half of them are complete bullshit anyway. I mean, Blathers can just shut the fuck up as far oh, as yeah. I'm concerned. But the most of it, I'm sure I'm going to come back and something will be radically different. And I'll be like, what What happened? Did you Did you change your your tent? And she'll be like, I don't know. So <laughs> at some point that's going to happen. I don't know when. A thing that's a new thing for the series. It used to be like if you shake trees, you you get wasps and there's like one wasp nest in every tree every day or yeah. like one one spawns every day and they chase you. But now at nighttime, like tarantulas and scorpions Ooh, will spawn like and that. they and they chase. Yeah. And they chase you. And it's genuinely kind of terrifying because if they catch up with you, they bite you and you pass out and wake up at home. Oh, God. Mm. And like one of the best things about Animal Crossing is just like walking around in the middle of the night and like catching rare bugs. And it's just really peaceful. But now there's the added thing where for some reason in my game, I don't know why this happens. They only spawn immediately after I have stepped out of a building. So I'll just be like, oh, I just donated some fossils and chilled in a little art gallery. I'm going to step outside and then immediately Scorpion who attacks me. Oh, God. Um, yeah, she won't. So I don't know what kind of she won't like that. business Tom Nook is running over here, but mm. just tarantula is rampant. Scorps rampant. They're worth 8,000 bells a piece, though. So if you can learn how to catch them, that's the real racket. She'll freak out when she sees that, because at the moment there's any kind of combat or tense situation, if I'm playing a game with her, she will throw the controllers yeah. at me and scream, Daddy, you do it. So, like... It scares <laughs> me as an adult. Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll go with that. Brian, what are your yes. pieces? Um, let's see. The first thing is, yesterday it was pretty hot here, so we put Audrey in a swimsuit and I stood on our roof with a hose and sprayed her. This is all very safe and and done in a in, in a you know careful fashion. But I stood on the roof with a, a hose with like a spray attachment and uh, tried to spray my daughter as she ran around the yard screaming. And this is a quote: "Hey, old dude, you can't catch me." <laughs> so That's wonderful. That was fun. Um, it was just yeah, just pure joy, pure kid joy. Uh, from, you know, from start to finish. Uh, next is I, I made bagels for the first time. I've never made bagels before. And I was like, you know what? They were beautiful. They they came out like there were a little few more crevices than I would ideally like, but for a first bagel attempt, it came out really well. We have Trader Joe's has this everything bagel topping. It's like a little shake bottle full of, you know, all the stuff you put on an everything bagel. Oh, that's the best. And it rules. Yeah, it's great. So Rachel like loves this stuff. And so we have like five jars of it just because that's how we've lived since it came out. Yeah. And so I was able to put that on, on a bunch of the bagels and they were like, I I was very, very happy with the, the outcome. Cool. Finally, finally, something that is making me very happy right now. This is almost my what's pop and pick, but I was more interested in the article is I cannot stop listening to, uh, the 1983 Lionel Richie Lionel Richie album can't slow down and it's it's just like everything about this album is fucking great it's like non-stop hits start to finish it's got all night long it's got hello it's got stuck on you like it's just the cover is Lionel Richie sitting in a chair backwards in this like 
kind of sparsely populated beach home or something. It's, it's such a great album. It's exactly the kind of album that when I was, I don't know, 15, I would have been like, this sucks. It's a cheese ball mm. bullshit. And now I legitimately can't get enough of it. It's so great. Audrey and I had a, a dance party with her Anna and Elsa dolls too all night long. Uh, the Aww. other day. That's nice. Yeah. So I just, so many of these, these albums that I hated as a teenager are now my favorite things. Ah, the secret of my entire employment. Right. <laughs> things, <laughs> things that are familiar and wonderful that you're like, oh, I actually have a friend who works in the music industry who I keep playing things at hockey games. And he's like, I spent years fighting against this, like literally in the industry, trying to stop this from becoming popular. And now I love it. I hate you. <laughs> yeah, totally. There, well, the yeah. other thing is I realize how bad my taste was as a child. Like I remember <laughs> thinking you are the sunshine of my life was one of the worst things I have ever heard. Like I remember oh, waiting for mm -hmm. my mom in a hair salon, like, and that was being played on, you know, some, light fm channel sure. uh uh and just thinking what is this cornball bullshit and now i cannot under i might i might have even talked about this on the podcast i cannot understand how anyone can think of that song as anything but a complete masterpiece and like it's i mean it's, stevie wonder right you know it's stevie wonder and so much of there are artists that are like geniuses i'll give you an example i used to and i'm embarrassed to even say this i used to hate prince like when i was i don't know little let's say 10 or 12 sure i was like i don't get it i don't like it when doves cry makes me feel weird things that make me uncomfortable like i just i <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it and right. then as a you know and then i probably didn't even revisit it until i was in my 20s and the friend was like well of course prince is great and i was like what what are you talking about? And now he is like possibly my all time favorite musical artist and is obviously just the greatest thing that has ever happened. Like it's, you know, well, I mean, uh, when the other thing is when you're young, like we are all the haters of pineapple pizza, right? Like you're just yes, figuring right. out what it is that you do and don't like. Yeah. And so of course you're going to shit all over Lionel Richie, but then you're like, Oh, there's really something here. So Yeah, Totally. Absolutely. And it's also the kind of thing like when you're when you're a teenager, anything, at least for me, anything that was popular couldn't have been good, you know? Right. And oh, yeah. Like, oh, I shat all over Nirvana. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I, in fact, didn't go to see Nirvana because I was like, whatever. That band sucks since Bleach. <laughs> <laughs> what an asshole. <laughs> yeah. I remember. The, oh God, this is so douchey. I remember having a conversation with a friend and this was not even like college. I was in like in grad school at the time. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm just not that into modern pop music. Like I just don't like like chords and songs. <laughs> <laughs> what gets me what is the notes. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, you know, I like what an I, asshole. I hate books that have words yeah. in them. I mean, totally. I, I, I grew up listening to industrial music. I understand. I'm like, well, this doesn't sound like a file cabinet drawer slamming shut. So fuck it. And I, I, I yeah, exactly. And I wanted it to like, I, you know, I like had all this like dissonant classical stuff that I, I loved and still do oh, love. Sure. But I was like, why can't it just be like these, you know, Berg, Weber, Schoenberg kind of things where it's just like, there's no triadic harmony. It's just like the notes, man. Like, you know, just the individual things. That, and of course that is, not a good philosophy for writing popular music. Um, right. 
Right. Al- although I will say there, there are parts of the new Fiona Apple that kind of move in this direction at times. Mm. Uh, but like, you know what? I, w- I was, I was going to uh, bring up that album. I really liked it. I listened to it once and liked it. Uh, I feel like I have to listen to it again. I got it last night while falling asleep I- on top of my laptop, making a radio <laughs> show. Nice. I just, I, I've never been like super big into her, but I really enjoyed it. I love uh, criminal. I think criminal is an amazing album. Like this one, any pop that has notable dissonance in it is awesome to me. And, or at least is, is interesting and worth exploring. And that first mm. song right out of the gate, there's like interesting harmonic stuff going on. So I was like, okay, I'm on board for this. I'm excited to like really sit down and listen to it more. Yeah. I feel like you got to get, you get the first listen and then you got to get a few more in there before you really right. appreciate it. I actually would like to retroactively alter my third peach. Sure. Because Whoa. you have, in fact, reminded me of the other good thing that happened. So does it make, and maybe it doesn't make sense. Does it make sense to say that although I do a radio show uh, six hours a day, I don't actually listen to that much music? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. So having taken that as read, another thing that is stressful is, you know, you go out and there are people and everybody is maybe acting in ways they shouldn't and whatever, and it's just, you know, like a supermarket is a nightmare location. Moving past Indeed. all that, we, we've all had that. We don't need to get into it. Yep. Friday night. Uh, I was awake at midnight, uh, just having, you know, spent the Friday, probably hate watching lost. And, uh, (laughs) and I was awake and I was like, you know, I bet there isn't going to be anybody out at night. Like it will be, and it was pretty, it was pretty cold out too. Long story short, I got in my car and I drove around for three hours. I drove around till three o'clock in the morning. I went from where I live back to my hometown, which is, you know, 10, 15 miles away and like drove around all of the places that were the places when we were younger in three hours of driving. I think I saw 20 cars total, including highway travel, like nobody empty world. And the entire time I had my iPod shuffling through music the whole time. And that was a delightful experience. I like sat there, the iPod did all the music picking in fact, many of the things it picked ended up in today's radio show. But it was uh, <laughs> nice. it was like the most therapeutic thing to like just sit and listen to music A and then also like just drive around in the car, which for me has always been kind of a nice meditative state anyway, particularly when there's nobody else around. A night drive with music is just the best and especially living in L.A. It's just additionally just gorgeous to drive around yeah. I'm from North North Carolina and lived in Georgia for a bit. And when you drive on the highway there, it is literally just trees and right. you don't see anything else other than rest stops and places that are like, come by apple cider, yeah. Yeah. which love that kind of place. I love, yeah, I love driving at night. And I, the coolest I've ever felt is driving in my first car at night in New Jersey when I was 17 mm. with the, Danny Elfman compilation music for a darkened theater oh, part wow. one on in the background. <laughs> wow. And like when that Batman soundtrack <laughs> hits in and you're yeah. driving, like you've been driving less Ooh, than charge a year of the Batmobile, <laughs> dude. Uh, oh, so, and th- there's stuff on I that, love it. like face like a frog, which is still some that early Elfman stuff is just the best. Oh yeah. Sure. Like 
God, I got to hop on that. I used to do night drives in high school where I would end up at McDonald's and my my thing was always getting two hot fudge sundaes with nuts and then eating them in the parking lot <laughs> while I listened to Neutral Milk Hotel or whatever. <laughs> this stuff. Uh, TJ, thank you so much for being on this. This was such a delight. Oh. I mean, we, you and I have yeah, not this is wonderful. seen each other for forever and haven't spoke, like we interact on Twitter occasionally, but we yeah. haven't actually spoken in 10 years or something. And it Easily. is such a joy to, to hear your voice and, and talk to you some more. Yeah, no, if I feel all the same ways. This has been a complete pleasure. I'm uh I'm so glad you asked. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So where can we find you on socials? Where can people oh, right. listen to your show? This here radio show is at uncertain.fm and it is there ten o'clock Eastern. There is a live show that goes about three hours, and then the show repeats at two PM Eastern, eleven AM Pacific in the Pacific replay, as we have come to call it. Hmm. And so yeah, it's about eight hours of radio at the moment per day, up from two (laughs) a month ago (laughs) but whatever it's been a delight so that is there i am senator john on twitter my patreon is patreon.com slash senator john but go listen to the radio show and you know make that be a thing yeah it, it really is worth it it's the best well thank you hell yeah well everybody listening thank you for tuning in please stay safe out there take care of yourselves take care of the people in your life and tell them that you love them this is the end of the podcast bye bye Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>